Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on DuckStream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. I hope you've had a great week, the first one without Anaheim Ducks hockey because it is officially the off-season. So I want to start today by thanking all of you for listening. We are just so proud of this platform and what we've been able to accomplish since we launched in September by bringing more shows and content to you Ducks fans. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have producing it. And with the season behind us at this point, it's about looking ahead now and all of the exciting things that are awaiting in our Anaheim Ducks organization. And also to note, I would be remiss if I didn't, the Ducks do have the best odds in the draft lottery that's going to be happening on May 8th. I'm just saying, keep your eye on that date. Mark it on your calendar. It's going to be a very exciting, hopefully a little bit nerve-wracking day as well, too. And going along with that as well, yes, we are going to continue many of our shows on DuckStream throughout this summer. You can check out our full list of what you can expect on DuckStream on our Twitter account, DuckStream on Twitter. And also, I will tell you, Light the Lamp will be one day a week coming out every Friday. It's still going to have interviews with people all around the NHL and plenty of Stanley Cup playoff coverage. I cannot wait to dive into that more in today's episode. Like I said before, I just love this time of the year. The hockey is so intense. The fans are really dialed in. And I mean... What could be better than seeing who wins the Stanley Cup this year and hoping that in some future years, the Ducks get back to that point as well. So going along with that, I do want to start by finishing up the Ducks season and the big news that we heard following the last game last week. General Manager Pat Verbeek did meet with the media on Friday morning last week following the final game of the season to share that the team was choosing not to renew head coach Dallas Aiken's contract after he just completed his fourth season with the team. Verbeek just really noting three main reasons for that being he wanted a fresh start, a new voice for the team, and a different direction for the team as well. Now, Dallas was just so awesome to work with all season long, and I want to thank him for that. He was one of the most intellectual coaches that I've listened to as well, just super knowledgeable about the game and also very caring for his players as well. I wish him the best for whatever is in his future. And if you want to hear the full availability from Pat Verbeek speaking with the media, we have that in a special episode of The Beaker here on DuckStream. In addition to that, myself and Brian Hayward break down the availability afterwards. So you can find that on demand under The Beaker if you want to listen to it, if you have not already. And it seems like this process of finding a new head coach for the Ducks is going to be a patient one. That was one of my takeaways from listening to Pat Verbeek. He doesn't want to rush into it and wants to be very thorough in who he picks as a part of this Ducks rebuild. So even though the Ducks had some news, there was a couple other teams that also had some news on the personnel side. The Pittsburgh Penguins parted ways with their president of hockey operations, Brian Burke, their general manager, Ron Hextall, 
and their assistant general manager, Chris Pryor. The decision was also announced last Friday on April 14th, right after the season ended. And I can imagine that ownership in Pittsburgh came to that decision after the Penguins missed the playoffs for the first time after 16 seasons being in the postseason. Another team that had a changeup on the coaching end, the Washington Capitals, parted ways with Peter Laviolette after the season wrapped up. The Capitals made the playoffs in each of his first two seasons with the team, but was unable to get past the first round in either of those. And there was also some assistant coach changes that the team announced on Monday the 17th. That was this week. And the last team that I want to get to, the Calgary Flames, also parted ways with their general manager. That news came out on Monday. Now, his contract was set to expire at the end of June, so it was a mutual parting ways. Now, the team did miss the playoffs for the second time in the last three years, but when they did make the playoffs last year, Calgary was one that really made a run. So with all of that news aside, I want to move ahead now to the ongoing Stanley Cup playoffs that began this week and take a look at each of the matchups of the 16 teams that are vying for the cup this year. Starting in the East, here are the first round matchups. Beginning with the Boston Bruins and Florida Panthers, their series is at one and one right now. Game one, the Bruins took a three to one win in Boston. It was a special day in that city. They had the Boston Marathon. It was Patriots Day. I can imagine it was a serious buzz that was happening around Boston. But game two was a little bit of a different story on Wednesday this week. The Panthers came out to a 6-3 to win, and it was certainly a disappointing game if you were a Bruins fan. Now, Brandon Montour had two goals in the game on Wednesday, his first two goals in the playoffs in his career. And also, as a part of that second game, Sam Bennett returned back to the Panthers lineup giving them a little bit of depth, and he certainly made his presence felt as he scored the opening goal of the game in the second period. Now, the Bruins, through those first two games, have been without their captain, Patrice Bergeron, as originally it was said that it was an illness, but head coach Jim Montgomery did come out and say that it was not an illness. In fact, it was due to injury. They are still without him. Not sure if we will see him in the third game. Next up, the Tampa Bay Lightning having a 1-0 lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs in their series right now. This one had a lot of anticipation heading into it. People thinking that maybe this could be Toronto's year to finally win a playoff series. But that wasn't the case in Game 1, a 7-3 win for the Lightning. Three different players, though, were hurt for Tampa Bay. Two different defensemen as well as a forward, and one of those defensemen that was hurt was Victor Hedman. Hedman has been a big part of the Lightning's playoff push over the last couple years, so I'm sure that they're going to want him back. But in that first game, the special teams did really well for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Four power play goals, and it was 3-0 after just one period of play. I can imagine that game two tonight, that being Thursday night, might be a little bit of a different story as Toronto is going to want to bounce back and not necessarily be embarrassed on their home ice. 
The Carolina Hurricanes have a 2-0 lead in their series over the New York Islanders, and I have to say I'm a little bit surprised by this one as I thought the Islanders might put up more of a playoff fight because in past seasons we've seen that New York is a hard team to play against in the postseason. They're very tenacious, but Carolina is just such a well-rounded group. I think that's showing through in this series. Game one was close, though, a 2-1 to win for the Hurricanes on Monday. Both of the Canes' goals came on the power play. And then game two, Carolina had the lead. New York fought really hard back in it, but a late goal from Jacob Slavin was able to tie things up, and then they would need overtime before Jesper Foss netted the overtime winner five minutes and three seconds into that extra frame of play off a nice pass from Jordan Stahl. You can hear the goal call now from Mike Maniscalco. Now it's Mayfield taken away by Faust. Mayfield is grabbing his face. He got hit with a high stick. Now it's Burns back in Carolina. Across for Jesper Faust. He scores! Game over! Jesper Faust wins it in overtime! One of the big pieces of news from that second game in that series was Hurricanes' Tavo Teravainen broke his hand. He will be out. He's having surgery this week. And it will be unsure of whether he will return back to the team, depending on how long Carolina can stay in the playoffs. And the last series in the East, the New Jersey Devils taking on the New York Rangers. And the Rangers are leading this one 1-0 after one game. So this is a little interesting nugget for you. The two teams have not met in the postseason since 2012. And when you go back to that last meeting when they met, it's really ironic because Adam Henrique's overtime winner in game six of the Eastern Conference Finals is what sent New Jersey over the Devils in that series. So I thought that was a really fun note for Ducks fans listening. Now, game one was, like I said, a five to one win for the Rangers. Adam Fox had a four point game and the team went two for three on the power play. And obviously when you have one of the best goalies in the NHL in Igor Shesterkin, you're going to feel very confident on that back end with your team. And that's exactly what we saw from the Rangers in this one. The Devils just weren't moving the puck well in this game versus the Rangers moving the puck well and getting shots on net. Now in the second period, Ryan Lindgren started from the blue line and dished a pass to Adam Fox, who gave it right back to him. And then Lindgren put it over the right shoulder of Vitek Vanacek. Hear the call of that goal from MSG Radio Network. Devils still have it with Graves. Lafreniere strips the puck, goes back out to the point. Fox back out to Lindgren. Lindgren far boards back to Fox, creeps up between the circles. Fox still with it. A pinching Lindgren sharp angle stop, and he scores! Ryan Lindgren, sharp angle, and they just take the 3 nothing lead. The next meeting for those two teams is Thursday night, so we will see who comes away with the second game of the Hudson River rivalry. 
And so to wrap things up in the East, I thought it was fitting that we have Greg Wyshynski on, who was on site in Boston this week to share his perspective of the first round of the playoffs. And we chatted with Greg on Wednesday this week, specifically about the city feel in Boston, in addition to the rivalry that has been renewed with the Devils and Rangers. Enjoy this interview. Welcoming back on to Light the Lamp Now, ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. Greg, you're on site in Boston. Have you had some chowda yet? <laughs> no. So when I go to Boston, Boston's one of my favorite uh, eating cities. Okay. Uh, when I go to Boston, there is a restaurant called Neptune's Oysters. It's one of my favorite restaurants in the world. And uh, it's one of these places that doesn't take reservations. Everybody is treated the same. You have to stand out in front of this little small restaurant and wait your turn, basically. So after um, Bruins practice, I took an Uber straight there yesterday. I <laughs> uh, stood in line. It took about 25 minutes. I was o- it was only me, so I knew it would be, I would be okay mm-hmm. to get a seat at the at the bar. Um, and then sucked down a dozen oysters and had some mussels and was happy as a clam uh, <laughs> because it's such a, a great place to eat. With the marathon being the same day as game one on Monday, what was the vibe of the city? <laughs> well, the, the marathon is held on something called Patriots Day, mm-hmm. which is a huge holiday here in Boston. And so everybody showed up to the Bruins game on Monday, many of them having attended the marathon, many, some of them having participated in the marathon, all of them well lubricated after a day <laughs> of, uh, of merriment. Uh, so it made for a very loud and chaotic atmosphere. The greatest thing about the marathon this year, though, in the uh, city, uh, from a from a fun standpoint, is that Zdeno Chara ran in it. Mm-hmm. Um, unmistakable. Uh, you couldn't miss him. And we talked to Brad Marchand about it today. And he said, I, I was surprised that, that Z didn't win it. And that I was surprised that uh, if he felt like he couldn't win it, that he didn't just start throwing people into the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's such a wonderful kind of full circle tie into the Bruins being in the playoffs and Mm -hmm. their storied former captain uh, being in the marathon on the same day. Well, when you look at game one and the way that the Bruins came out in their series against the Florida Panthers, I mean, There's no question that they're still on top of their game and they really want to make it through these playoffs. But what was your impression? My my impression is that they came out a little bit slower uh, pace wise than Mm -hmm. I expected them to come out. I think if you listen to what they said after the game, it's kind of hard to conceive how a team that broke that many records in the regular season can be nervous, Mm -hmm. but they had some jitters. They played with a little bit of tightness. They allowed the Panthers to carry more of that play than I think that they wanted to. Um, And and it, it speaks to something that I find really interesting about this team. I mean, the playoffs, we've already seen examples from Winnipeg and and Seattle um, and a few others of underdogs, coming into the playoffs, shocking the world in game one, because inherently the pressures on them are different than the pressures on the team that they're playing. In the Bruins case, it's completely different because they have the pressure of being a team that could go wire to wire to win the cup Mm -hmm. and being the best regular season team of all time and having to live up to that uh, standard. And, and And knowing that if they don't, they become a footnote like that Tampa team that lost to Columbus mm-hmm. and like all the other president's trophy teams that fell short of the cup. So it's a, it's a different pressure, 
Um, but it's still pressure. And, and I think the Bruins didn't necessarily react to it all that well in game one, but still came away with the win. And, and so that's kind of probably bad news for Florida, if you're being honest. <laughs> So I saw an interesting statistic about Jim Montgomery and all of the success that he's had throughout his career, beginning with the Bruins as well, and then going back to his days in the USHL as a head coach. And then also when he was at Maine captaining the team, a lot of success in a single season there. I mean, what does he bring to Boston that, you know, that, that, success throughout his career what is it about him that he has been able to go through all of these different journeys and be at the top well specific to boston you know when they when they fired bruce cassidy it was clear that he had sort of reached the end of his road and in, in, with that team in the in the sense of like the message not really being heard anymore they clearly needed a new voice back there and, and montgomery came in and if you talk to the players he, he did a couple of things first of all he really worked hard to build interpersonal relationships with the players uh, on a granular level that they all really appreciated two he brought back a sense of accountability to the team mm-hmm. um you know there wasn't you know an imbalance between how stars were treated versus everybody else is treated um, and, and I think that once they got out of the gate as well as they did with Marchand and McAvoy being injured, there was a sense of joy that Montgomery kind of helped keep lit throughout the season. Like this is a fun team mm-hmm. to be a part of. They, it's a good group of guys. They all like each other. There's some interesting personalities in the room and Montgomery's one of them. Um, but from a, like a tactical standpoint, he did something really smart, which was Unlike Cassidy, he let the defenseman get a lot more involved in the play. And so when McAvoy was out, Hampus Lindholm, who you guys know very well, was given a lot more offensive responsibility this year than he had last year. And when McAvoy came back, now McAvoy is also getting involved in the play a lot more too. And I think that really helped their offense jump up a few notches from where it was last year, while obviously still being the same Bruins defensive team that we've seen for like a decade under this Patrice Bergeron regime. Well, let's look at a couple of the other matchups now, too, Uh, especially in the West, the Edmonton Oilers and L.A. Kings first game. Are you worried about the Oilers after watching that first game? I know you have them, you know, in in your in your bracket challenge. So, (laughs) yeah, I have them. I have them winning the cup. Yes, Uh, it was my my prediction before the season. My my logic being that I Mm. thought that they're. Supporting cast was strong enough, and at some point, when you have two generational talents on the same team, as they do with McDavid and Drysdale, that they have to figure it out eventually. Mm-hmm. And and why not this season? Um, the game one was frustrating only because I really thought that they would come out differently and set the tone with a win against the Kings. Now they're in the same boat they were last year, uh, to the point where it was the same score that they lost in game one last year to LA. But if you look at their underlying numbers in the game, they carried play at five on five. Like they had somewhere around 63% of the shot attempts, 65% of the um, high danger chances. Like they played well enough to win. It's just that for whatever reason, they kind of fell apart in the last 10 minutes of the game and then gave up the goal in overtime. So um, I'm not worried about them. Mm-hmm. But this L.A. team does have something that I don't think the, the Oilers handle all that well, which is the ability to put Kopitar out there against McDavid, 
um, or Deneau out there against McDavid, and then the other guy on the dry side of the line. Like to have two um, centers that are like selkie worthy, and in Kopitar's case, selkie winning, mm-hmm. um, to deploy against your your opponent's top lines is a luxury that almost no other team has. The Kings have it. Um, and I think that that is one of the reasons why there's such a, a tricky matchup for Edmonton. But I still think the Oilers are going to win the series. Looking at the Seattle Kraken and Colorado Avalanche game last night, really big win for the Kraken. Uh, you know, I mean, they made history in that game as well, too. But how do you foresee that matchup shaking out in this first round? Well, a lot differently than I thought before that game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really thought Colorado, based on having gone 10 1 and 1 down the stretch, getting McCarr back in the mm-hmm. lineup healthy, uh, I really thought that they were going to plant their flag last night in a way they just they just couldn't. The miscalculation is, I mean, this could easily be the Philip Grubauer revenge tour, right? Like, yeah. He, he, he was with Colorado. They, they, they couldn't, they didn't want to give him the money he was looking for. He ended up going to Seattle. Obviously, his career kind of like, like took a bad turn the last two years in Seattle, but he was real good last night mm-hmm. um, against his old team. The Kraken have depth. They've got some guys that can put the puck in the net. They shoot a ton. Um, they're an interesting team to watch if you're looking for a first-round upset now just because they seem to find a way to frustrate the avalanche outside of McKinnon and Rantanen mm-hmm. um, and, and really hung tough last night in a pretty impressive way. And it's interesting too, because all of the road teams won on Tuesday night, including the New York Rangers against the New Jersey devils, the Hudson river rivalry is back. And uh, were you expecting the game to go as it did? I know you also have the devils pretty far, but they're a special team for you. Yeah, I grew up in Jersey. <laughs> yep. I'm a Devils fan. I, I ate an entire pizza pie last night watching that game because it was it was a tough one to, to stomach as a Devils fan. But um, no, it, like so, I, I had three keys to the series for the Devils, mm-hmm. um, and the first key was that they had to not freak out if things that worked in the regular season all of a sudden didn't work in the playoffs. And they really failed that test last night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they play a freewheeling, fun offensive style. They rush the puck. If they're able to do that, they could give the Rangers absolute fits because the Rangers don't handle the, the off-the-rush offense very well. Problem being is that when the Rangers are playing as physical as they did last night, when they're taking away time and space from players like Jack Hughes, when they're blocking exponentially more shots in that game than they did in the regular season on average, it's really hard for the Devils to kind of find the rhythm. And you just saw it last night. You know, the, the word jitters was mm-hmm. used by like every player in the locker room and coach Lindy Ruff to describe how they played. And you could see it, you know, Ruff said something really smart last night, which is that the best thing that came out of the game is now that now all of those guys have played in the playoffs um, because they really looked not ready for prime time, but it could just be, one game of education to kind of figure out what you need to do to modulate the way you play to better fit the the lack of space and the lack of time to create that comes with playing playoff hockey. How good is it for fans to have that rivalry renewed in the postseason? It's sick. I mean, I, I was talking with Ken Danico, who played for the Devils for 20 years about mm-hmm. the Hudson River rivalry and, and just what it means. And, and he said it best when he said, like, when the Devils play the Rangers or the Rangers play the Islanders, um, 
makes hockey more important in New York than it would be otherwise. And and again, you've got to remember it in New York right now, like you've got the Mets and Yankees both starting their seasons. The Knicks are in the playoffs. The Nets are in the playoffs, but really, nobody really cares. Um, <laughs> you have the NFL draft coming up. Oh, and by the way, the ticking clock towards the New York Jets may be acquiring Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. at some point. A lot going on on the back page of the New York Post and New York Daily News. When the Devils play the Rangers, it amplifies the sport in the New York metropolitan area in a way that otherwise would not be if the Rangers were playing somebody else. So um, it's great. It's great for hockey in New York to have this series going and hopefully to have it going uh, the distance if the Devils can kind of figure themselves out in game two. After watching the other games that we haven't touched on, what matchup are you most intrigued by now after seeing all of the teams play at least one game at this point? Well, the Dallas-Minnesota series obviously is hugely intriguing. It would have been Mm -hmm. anyways because they're two really evenly matched teams, but took such a turn on that Matt Dumba hit on Pavelski. Mm -hmm. You know, Pavelski's in the concussion protocol. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. They're going to move Tyler Sagan up to that top line and hope for the best. But, you know, I had Dallas going pretty far in these playoffs, and, and that injury really does change the dynamic of that series. Although I think they played really well after the injury to kind of give you some encouragement. But of course, like every other hockey fan, this series that I'm watching is Toronto and Tampa. My God. (laughs) Yes. You know, everything that could go wrong goes wrong for (laughs) Toronto in game one, except for the fact that Tampa loses three defensemen in that game. And, and, you know, Chernak's going to be out for a while, you Mm -hmm. assume, after that bunting. And they, they don't know what the situation with Hedman is quite yet. But, like, it could be a situation where Tampa wins the battle but loses the war just because of how much manpower they've lost on their blue line but it's funny you know everybody was on the leafs tip like everybody's mm-hmm. it's time it's time yeah. the, the lightning are diminished but the leafs know what they're doing they have a goaltender uh-huh. and then it's a matter of of one game everything changes um so dramatically and and the thing that of course is is your biggest takeaway from that game is that you know despite the Lightning not being as good as they were in the previous three seasons because of the attrition that they've had in their lineup, McDonough not being there, Palat not being there. It's still Kucherov, and it's still Point, and it's mm-hmm. still Vasilevsky. And you look at the guys that made a difference in game one, you're like, oh my God, that's right. They've got like five guys <laughs> that could just win a series mm-hmm. no matter what the supporting cast looks like. It was funny too, uh, you know, looking at the reaction of the fans in Toronto as well, because you can tell that they had that same mindset of this is finally our year, all excited going into the game. And then there were shots on TV of all the fans outside, just absolutely disappointed after that game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And again, like I want the best for Toronto. Mm -hmm. I was was talking to my buddy, Jeff Merrick on our, our podcast about the notion of like, be, I'm just tired of them losing. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm at I'm at the point like I was with the Cubs and the Red Sox where everyone's made all the, the jokes. We've all made plan the parade jokes and 1967 jokes and what's next with the Leafs and LOL Leafs. And like we've done it all. And I'm just like I'd like to see them advance in the first from the first round. I'd like to see them win the Cup just so we can have a different conversation about this franchise for once. That being said, <laughs> when they lost Game One, there was un undoubtedly a part of me that's like oh yeah give me a <laughs> give me that food, baby let's see how they turn this thing down this time 
Well, one more thing before I let you go. Uh, I know that the ESPN staff put together a top 50 players in the playoffs, and I wanted to ask about how Jack Hughes was ranked third ahead of Leon Dreisaitl in that, what the exact thought process was from the staff for that ranking. I would say it's a problem with the voting mechanism. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like we, we, we put it together. There's a whole like way that the entire staff is able to vote on the players. And mm-hmm. it's like a player versus player thing. It's kind of the same way that we put together our, our power rankings, but you know, we're able to move things around if we want to. But in this case, there was enough people that felt that Jack Hughes had been that good in the regular season that they were comfortable leaving him as high as he was up there. Um, I'll say this in Jack's defense in, in this battle with the guy who finished second in scoring in the NHL in Drysidle. <laughs> I think he might be a better defensive player than Drysidle. But one of the things that made the Devils so special this year was that they were top five in offense and top five in defense. And one of the things that made Hughes so special this year in having the best offensive season of any Devil ever was his ability to play on the defensive end. They, they all learned to score off the rush and all learned how to be defensively responsible after making those rushes down ice. And Hughes was the best example of that, where he was an absolute pickpocket. There were times when you watched him, you were like, is that Mark Stone out there? Like, mm. he was that good defensively, and then also that effective offensively. But look, if I'm putting the list together, of course he's not ahead of dry settle. <laughs> but I could see why there might be at least an argument to be made uh, in having him that high. Well, Greg, enjoy your time in Boston, and thank you for joining us today on DuckStream. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now let's head out west now to get to the first-round matchups, beginning with the Colorado Avalanche and Seattle Kraken. The Kraken have a one nothing lead in this series, and they pretty much stunned Colorado in the first game. 3-1 to was the final score. Their playoff debut, and they came out hot. And they also got a record as the first team to make their debut and also beat the defending Stanley Cup champions. I thought the Kraken did a really good job in this game, putting pressure on Colorado's top lines. That's something that I think they're going to want to continue doing in game two. But I feel like I'm going to expect a different game in this one because the Avalanche always find a way to bounce back really well. The next series I want to talk about, probably my favorite one so far, has been the Dallas Stars and Minnesota Wild tied at one right now. The fans are so loud in Dallas. It has been so much fun to watch. They're just two evenly matched teams, and I think that's something we knew going into this series, that it was going to be a tight one, and it has been so far. Game one, a very exciting close game that took double overtime to find Minnesota with a 3-2 win. Now, Dallas had two power play goals to take the lead in the second period, Rope Hints, and Jason Robertson having those two goals. But at 12:20 in the second overtime, it was Minnesota's Ryan Hartman who closed out the game, taking the puck from Sam Steele's pass right in front of Jake Ottinger. Joe O'Donnell shared the call of the winner. Off in front by Harley, who couldn't get it out. Here's a turnover open in front. They score! They score! Ryan Hartman helps the Wild steal game one off a bouncing puck in front, and he wins his double overtime marathon in Dallas as the Wild prevail 3-2. to 
So that leads us to game two of this series. And this one was a little bit of a different story. So going back to game one, Minnesota opted to start Philip Gustafson in the net as he has been tremendous this season. Game two, they decided to start Marc-Andre Fleury. We know Fleury has that championship caliber. He knows how to play in the playoffs. But this one was a tough one to see for him. Dallas had a 7-3 win. Flurry giving up seven goals in this game. Rope Hints had a hat trick plus an assist for four points in this game. And the team went three for six on the power play. So Minnesota really struggling with the penalty kill in that game. I just think this series is going to continue ramping up as we watch it develop some more. And I'm certainly going to be keeping my eye on that goalie situation. Another situation that did happen, though, going back to game one, Joe Pavelski left the game on Monday in the second period after he was checked by Matt Dumba. He is now not traveling for game three due to a concussion that he sustained. So that is certainly a blow for Dallas, but he wasn't with them in game two and they were still able to find that depth scoring. Now, this was another team that sort of stunned the other, the Winnipeg Jets, taking a 5-1 to win on the road over the Vegas Golden Knights in game one of their series. The Jets had three goals in the third period that really solidified their win. Vegas only having two shots in the third period, not creating any offense, and you just can't have that in the playoffs as we know how difficult they are to play in. And speaking of how difficult they are to play in, you also see tough players arise in these moments. And one of those guys was Morgan Barron. He had 75 stitches on the head in the first game and returned back to the game for the Jets. You talk about a tough hockey player. I mean, that is the epitome of a tough hockey player. We will see if he's back out on the ice for game two, but it certainly looks like he will be since he did return in that first game. The last series to take a look at another exciting one. And I know for people out here in Southern California, they're certainly keeping their eye on it. I know Ducks fans might not want to, but it's hard not to. The Edmonton Oilers and LA Kings tied at one in their series. Game one, the Kings had a come from behind four to three overtime win. Edmonton just really blowing this game and L.A. mounting a nice comeback, netting three goals in the third period. Andre Kopitar netted the game-tying goal with just 17 seconds left in that first game. And like I said, it was a little bit of a surprising win, but maybe a wake-up call for Edmonton as well. I mean, L.A. is a dangerous team. They played well on Edmonton's top guys. So then we move ahead to game two. That was on Wednesday night and the Oilers did respond nicely in this one, a four to two win. The game was tied though, after two periods of play, but the Oilers controlled the third period, creating chances. And you have to give a hats off to Stuart Skinner in the net for the Oilers, getting his first playoff win, giving him that confidence. I think to move ahead in this series, and it was Clem Costin who had the go-ahead goal at 2.20 in the third period, unassisted after he took it into the zone and put it through two Kings defensemen past Corpusalo in the net. Ched Radio 6.30 a.m. has the call. If L.A. had thrown that puck into an Edmonton skate, it would have been too many men. Oh, yeah. Here's a steal by Costin in the neutral zone. Rich shot, score! 
Leib Costin, who has delivered effective minutes whenever called upon, has regained the lead for Edmonton. Three to two. Well, Clint Cost is a guy when he shoots the puck, Jack. He's got a heavy shot. He thought through, shot through the screen there. And that's the first tough goal. You look at Corpusalo and say, maybe, but that's just a heck of a shot. Use the defenseman as the screen and let her go. And that's an absolute rocket right through Sean Dersey and Pete Corpusalo to the glove side. And For the heaviness of that shot, yep. Bob, it was on and before it knew it. So what a playoffs it has been already. These matchups are not disappointing. And here are a couple of little fun facts so far about the games that we've seen. On Tuesday, all four of the road teams won their games and then the last one, the teams that have scored first so far are 11-1 and one through these playoffs. I'm excited to see what happens in week two and who comes out of this first round. Now for our second guest of this week's show, we checked in with Guy A. Bear only a week after the Ducks season, but Guy's been keeping up with hockey in addition to playing some golf. I enjoyed hearing his goalie perspective on some of these Western Conference matchups, too. Take a listen. Joining Light the Lamp now is our very own Guy Hebert. Guy, I mean, it's only been about a week or so, and we're all already reeling you in back into hockey. Uh, you know, how have you been since the Ducks season ended? <laughs> Well, like most people really look forward to the playoffs, uh, much rather see the Ducks competing in the playoffs right now, but uh, still a huge fan of the game. So, yes, I've been tuning in and I have, um, you know, I've got some sleepers that I'm watching. And, of course, a former team I played for in the New York Rangers that if the Ducks aren't in it and the St. Louis Blues aren't in it, then I will root for the New York Rangers. Well, why don't we start with that Hudson River rivalry then and what we saw only in game one and then game two will be tonight. But what did you think about the Rangers performance in game one? Um, it's actually more of a game that I expected uh, from New York. I thought they were going to lean on their goaltender, uh, Shesterkin. Uh, he played really well. And then, of course, some of their uh, premier players, Chris Kreider being one of them, uh, and that power play certainly was going to be a really important factor in this series. Uh, so the Rangers didn't certainly disappoint uh, anybody. I think they needed to grab uh, that first game, kind of get the momentum away from the Devils. And um, right now, I mean, I would take goaltending as one of the biggest keys in that that first round. And, you know, a, uh, you know, kind of a Vezina finalist in Shesterkin in, uh, in winter last year. I mean, everybody knows you need a hot goalie at this time of year. Do you think that the Devils will come out with a different plan in game two? I do. Um, you know, that's the great thing about the seven game series mm -hmm. is that you're always adjusting sometimes on the fly during the first or second period and then trying to find something out or find weaknesses or tendencies. And I, I think that that's the, the fun part of the coaching is that, you know, you have to find out where you can maybe exploit something. So, you know, with that offense that New Jersey has, I, I think they're going to try to find a way to make sure they can get one, get on the power play more, make sure that um, they can play physical when they need to. And I think that they need to support their goaltender a little bit better defensively. So with your cards on the Rangers, are you picking them in the East? Well, I, 
<laughs> Are I, you I just cheering East, for them? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that East is uh, is really like a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. I mean, this first round is pitting, you know, uh, some of the best teams in the league against one another. So, you know, whoever is able to survive that first round, it, it certainly doesn't get any easier. Uh, I just, I really like what the Rangers did, uh, especially down the stretch, getting uh, a few guys, adding Tarasenko, Patrick Kane, you know, the, you add those guys to the power play. Just think about if they get one extra power play opportunity at night and they have those guys out there, uh, in addition to Fox and Kreider, in uh, Zabinijad, certainly uh, it's pretty formidable. So, I mean, I kind of have New York coming out of the East and, you know, we'll see if I'm right. <laughs> Another team in the East that a lot of people have picked, at least in the last two years, has been the Carolina Hurricanes, and they're already up in their series against the New York Islanders. Now, last night in the overtime period, there was a missed call potentially on Scott Mayfield in a high stick. Did you see the call or did you see the play and do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, I did see it. And, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I go back to, you know, there's so much video review mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes you want to just put the pressure on the referees, the, the officials to make, you know, those uh, in the moment calls or missed calls. And you kind of just live with those that happen. Um, you know, you could always rewind everything and say, well, geez, that shouldn't have happened because that should have been called in the second period or some other incident happens. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think those things as a player, you think that they're going to balance out over time. So if it was a missed call and a lot of people think that, um, you know, I like to think that just, hey, you just play the game the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, unfortunately for for the Islanders, it was a tough one. And then, you know, they're all of a sudden down to nothing. So another series I want to talk about and get your perspective on it is the Edmonton LA series and how Stuart Skinner has been in the net for the Oilers because there's so much talk about the Oilers have the team, but they just have not had the goaltending. But Stuart Skinner has been doing a good job so far. What is your perspective of, you know, that kind of conversation when you hear that, you know, about a goaltender? Well, uh, you better love the spotlight if you're going to be a goaltender, especially in the NHL and especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, You know, Skinner took the reins away from Jack Campbell, played really well this season. And, you know, it's easy always to blame the goaltender because he's the guy, the last man standing when the puck goes in. Um, You know, I mean, Edmonton is still that, you know, chaotic team where they've got the two best players in the league or arguably – one and two and uh, dry sidle with McDavid, you know, but they always needed to shore up their defense and help out their team defense, which helps out their goaltending. Um, and I think Skinner's played well. I think that that's, you know, sometimes the, the issue is that, you know, is he good enough to get him over the hump in the first round and then subsequently all the way into conference finals and Stanley cup finals. So, I mean, um, I think this is more of a we thing, not a he thing, mm-hmm. but I think that he's been able to, you know, I mean, listen, they went out, got Jack Campbell as their free agent signing and he was supposed to be the answer and uh, he struggled at times. And uh, I, I know that Jack Campbell's an, an incredibly likable guy and he's a great team guy. So I'm sure he's supporting uh, Stuart Skinner the best he can, making sure that, you know, if he's called upon that, he'll be able to come in. But I, I like the fact that Skinner's in there. I think he just needs, like everybody, you got to get that first win under your belt in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and he got that last night. Do you think that win will now carry over some momentum for the Oilers? Because I feel like 
through the first two games, they have been a little bit quiet. Some of their bigger guys like McDavid, at least, uh, and the Kings, I feel like have kind of battled and matched them pretty well. Well, I mean, I think everybody wanted to avoid the Kings in the first round. I mean, an incredibly good defensive team uh, with Corpusalo in net. That's an upgrade from what they've had pretty much all season. And then, you know, Andre Kopitar and kind of that offense with the power play uh, certainly is a big factor. Uh, I, I do. I think Edmonton feels so much pressure. And I think Connor McDavid himself feels so much pressure that he has to carry the team throughout this playoffs. Anything short of a Stanley Cup finals uh, is probably a letdown. Anything besides the Stanley Cup championship um, sure is a letdown for the Oilers. But I, I, I do. I think that it was a wake up call when they kind of gave that game one away. I mean, credit the Kings. I mean, they battled and got mm -hmm. themselves back in there. It's amazing how you score a goal with 16 seconds left in the game with your goalie pulled. All of a sudden you have all the momentum going into the overtime. And you see that so often that that's the team that ends up winning the game. And, and you sit there and scratch your head and say, like, we were 16 seconds away from going up one nothing. You know, what happened? Mm -hmm. uh, but so it was a nice bounce back by uh, Edmonton last night, kind of righted the ship. And, you know, sometimes, you know, playing at home is awfully, I'm not going to say difficult, but there's so much more pressure starting at home, you know, because the fans are just absolutely uh, going bonkers. So to get on the road and go to L.A., I think that the the Oilers might be able to settle down a little bit, kind of flip the script and have more of the pressure on L.A. playing back at home. Well, one more series that I want to ask about also from the goalie perspective is the Dallas and Minnesota series. Minnesota starting Gustafson in the net for game one. He had a great game, but then they go to Marc-Andre Fleury for game two and they lost seven to three in that one. Fleury giving up seven goals. And he said in the post game that he knew he was going to be starting game two the day before the game. And then he went and kind of let down his team in that one. And I'm sure he was very frustrated after that loss. But what do you do from the team perspective of trying to bounce back from that game and move ahead for game three after the performance in that? Yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, guys are able to just kind of wipe the slate clean. Look at what happened. Um, you know, I'm not going to place the blame entirely on uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. He knows that he didn't play up to the, his level of ability and certainly what the team needed and timely saves. Uh, I, I'm always a little skeptical about going into the playoffs and, and trying to go with like, a, you know, your 1A and 1B and, and giving one guy a game. And then especially if they play well, not right, go right back with him. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the plan was going in. You never know. Everybody's so tight lipped about, you know, injuries or you know illness when you get to the playoffs. So, you know, who knows what the real reason was? Maybe they were going to give each guy a game and see who really kind of played better yeah. and then start to roll with them. But um, yeah, I mean, Fleury's got all the experience in the world. He's got Stanley cup champ championship rings. He knows what it takes, but it's also it's who's playing better in the moment. And those are difficult calls for coaching staff, but I wouldn't be surprised if they flip back um, and make a goalie change for game three. Guy Bear, thank you so much for joining us on Duckstream. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, anytime I'll, I'll be watching all season long in this uh, great Stanley Cup championship race. And even though it is the off season, I will still have a final quack for each episode sharing my last thoughts. So my thoughts this week, get outside. It is going to be so beautiful here in Southern California this weekend. 
No rain, all sunshine, and warm temperatures. But keep your eye on the Stanley Cup playoffs because they are just heating up. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp this week. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more Hockey Talk on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.